a lot of our clients don't know what they're spending when they start working with us. And you know, maybe they have some income that's lumpy or expenses that are lumpy and meaning that hey, maybe it's a one-time thing, but they're not gonna continue year in, year out through retirement. So it's really important and somewhat challenging um, to get good spending data into the plan. Welcome to Retire Smarter with Kevin Krosky. Find answers to your toughest questions and get educated about the financial world. It's time to retire smarter. It's time for another Retire Smarter podcast. Walter Storholt alongside Kevin Krosky, President and Wealth Advisor at True Wealth Design. You can find us online at truewealthdesign.com. Kevin, great to be with you for another episode. How are you? Walter, I am I'm good. I am uh, looking forward to talking about some retiree spending uh, today and, and how it changes and some misconceptions that are out there. And importantly, in true retire smarter uh, fashion, um, talk about some data uh, that nice. support what we are going to be discussing. Love it. Bring the data on. Um, and also, isn't it more fun to talk about spending versus saving? I mean, we all like to spend money. So this sounds like uh, right up everybody's alley. <laughs> well, you know, the other thing too, um, budget is like a four letter word, um, right. even though it's more than four. Uh, but it, mo most of our clients don't have a budget. You know, you think about maybe early in your life, you, you did early in your professional career. Uh, but then, you know, as you're climbing the ladder and things are getting better financially and um, you don't have to worry about money as much. And um, and then you retire and you go into this, you know, well, I mean, I earned all the money that I'm going to earn from work. What I got is what I got and it's got to last. And uh, now uh, a lot of people think like, like they need a budget. Um, we've renamed that, called it a spending plan. It sounds better <laughs> than a budget. <laughs> You slapped a different label on it, and it's a whole new thing. <laughs> yes, there you go. It's not It's not a junk bond, Walter. It's a high-yield bond. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Just make it feel a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, in the last couple episodes, we talked about you know, some of the stimulus money that's going out there and all the spending, and then we had a great listener question in the prior episode about hey, you know, do we need to be concerned about the, the spending and, you know, what's gonna, what can we expect for inflation? What do we need to do differently? And uh, one of the things that I mentioned in that last podcast about inflation was, you know, the way that retirees spend, there's kind of a natural decline in, in their spending. And um, because of that, it tends to have a natural combat, if you will, um, to just any inflation increases that, that they do experience. Um, so if we think about the 4% rule that most people have heard about, we talked about early on in the podcast history a couple years ago, um, but I walked through it in detail if you want to go back and listen to it. But in short, um, the 4% rule is just a way to kind of some seminal work about how much you can spend from a portfolio. And uh, the way that uh, the researcher Bill Bengen um, looked at it was, hey, how much can I pull out? And the worst case situation through historical returns over a 30 year period have my money last. And so a simple example was, let's say if I uh, retired in 1950, I needed my money to last, you know, 30 years. So, you know, how much can I pull out starting in 1950 and then increase by inflation each year for that 30 year period? And he just kind of repeated that uh, over, you know, really since the 1920s when we have good data for the U.S. And in some of those 30-year periods, um, 
you know, you could spend, you know, maybe eight or 10% because returns were so good and they were so good at the early part of the 30 year period, which is important and had that wind at your back early on. And then in other periods, um, it was not that much. And the historical worst case was, you know, a little bit more than 4%. um, And it was just kind of rounded down and called the 4% rule. And in that worst 30 year period uh, was, was, started in 1966 and uh, went for the 30 years after that. And through the late 60s and through the 70s and into the early 80s, you had this kind of increasing inflation and um, returns on stocks and bonds weren't all that good. You had stagflation in the 70s. And that's when that 4% was was reached. So you still could pull out 4%. You know, if you use around numbers, a million bucks, 4% of that is 40,000 per year. And then again, each year. So now in year two, you're pulling out, you know, $40,000 plus an inflation adjustment. So if the inflation adjustment, say inflation is 3%, 3% times 40,000 is $1,200. Now you're pulling out $41,200 in year two, and you keep repeating that process for all 30 years. So that's kind of that 4% rule. And, and that's how a lot of people thought about retiree spending. Um, and then really over the last I would say decade, a lot of this research was coming out 2013, 2014 that we'll touch on today. Um, it was just showing that that's not really how retirees spend. They don't take, it's it's not like you start with, you know, pulling out $40,000 per year and increase it by that 3% each and every year for those 30 years. Uh, rather, they found like, hey, I mean, you just were spending less. As you got older, kind of makes sense. Walter, you may have heard of, uh, you know, kind of uh, three broad stages, kind of like the go-go years of retirement, you know, when, you know, kind of the early active, you're healthy, you got all this, you know, pent up demand for travel, you're going to do some golf, you're going to go see some shows, all that stuff, you know, you're going to do that in the go-go years. And then, you know, you start slowing down maybe somewhere around your mid seventies or so, you know, different ages for different people, but, you know, you're just scaling back on your activities. You've checked off a lot of those bucket list items. You know, your body's uh, got some more health issues that you're probably dealing with. Maybe you're not as capable handling handling vigorous activity, but hey, your mind still needs to be stimulated. Uh, and so now you're, you're not going and you don't have as much activity type spending, but you know, maybe, maybe you're some focusing on family and charity and you know, kind of um, the needs that you have for yourself. And then as you get further on down the line and now you go from go, go, slow, go, now you're a no, go. <laughs> and, uh, as you might suspect, you know, this is really where you're consuming a lot more healthcare and dealing with maybe some end of life issues. Um, you know, your kids trying to take away your driver's license and, and all that fun stuff. Walter, I'm sure you've heard those stages before. Am I right? Yeah. The go, go, slow, go and no, go years. Yeah, you, you got it. So I think that's kind of an easy way to think about it. And if you think about, um, you know, your parents, it probably makes sense to a large degree. But the thing that I would caution you on is, is just always when you look at your parents, you're kind of looking the wrong way. I always jokingly say it's like you're driving in the, using the rear view mirror. Um, life expectancy coronavirus <laughs> excluded is generally increasing. Um, and, you know, we continue to have a, different um, biotech innovations, healthcare, and and so we tend to live longer than the prior generation. Um, so those go-go, slow-go, no-go years keep getting pushed out in our health. Tends to, it's not necessarily kind of like a slow decline over those years. Um, studies that I've seen anyway, they call it rounding the curve. So rather than kind of like, you know, starting 
um, you know, very good. And then, you know, kind of looking like you're going downhill, kind of sloping downhill straight. It's like, you're kind of still up on the plateau. Maybe the plateau is getting a little bit shorter, a little bit, you know, less amplitude. And then you kind of fall off the cliff, if you will, back in the no-go years is, um, is seems to be how things are changing. And all that has implications on how our activity levels are and our spending and what have you. Uh, so some of the data that I'm going to reference here uh, is kind of based on the past, but I think it's important to mention that as we continue to age and as we continue to get biological um, healthcare improvements and things like that, um, some of the old spending data may need to be updated and we may find that current spending data for retirees is a little bit different. Um, so just kind of keep that in mind as we go through this. Uh, planning is a process, it's not a one-time thing. But um, some of the different data sources I'll mention, uh, so Chase has, uh, you know, everybody's familiar with Chase Bank. Um, you know, it's one of the largest uh, banks that's out there. A lot of people have Chase credit cards and bank accounts and uh, Chase analyzes that spending data. And so some of the things that Chase finds in doing so is that household spending tends to peak around the age of 45. Uh, I will be that ripe old age uh, here later in 2021. Uh, so maybe this is something I have to look forward to and, you know, we'll be able to start saving more um, after uh, this year when I turn 46, if, uh, if the average is true for me. But spending tends to decline in categories um, over that time period, um, you know, reaching a peak at age 45 and then kind of declining in aggregate. Think about it. You got kids. We have kids. Kids are expensive. You know, maybe you're paying off the mortgage, and so that's going to go away at some point, uh, assuming you've reached that that goal. But basically, this is what Chase is finding with their actual spending data from their credit cards and from uh, their bank accounts. And if you take a look further and maybe just look at some categories for not just 45-year-olds, but now we'll just look at uh, kind of two age groups, 55 to 64. So I would say, you know, you're still working or maybe an early retiree and then 75 plus. And so that's how they kind of group their data, if you will. And uh, just uh, in terms of how they're communicating it, some of the things that you would think that would go up, you know, again, healthcare you see going up, you know, it's 9% of your spend if you're 55 to 64, according to Chase. It's 14% of your total spend when you're 75 plus. Your housing, excluding your mortgage, goes up as you age. You know, it could be getting into a continuing care retirement community, assisted living, you know, things along those lines. Food and beverage tends, tends to stay pretty much similar. They're both at 13%, at least as Chase has defined it. You see education coming down. You see uh, some other things coming down, like transportation coming down, you know, quite a bit. Um, entertainment coming down, apparel, you're not buying clothes, you know, all that kind of stuff. But just becoming more sedentary and getting more towards the slow go and no go years. So again, this is actual spending data that I just referenced, 2017 to 2019, in terms of those categories. But uh, again, I would just push you to think about, you know, just your parents. You know, maybe. Like my grandfather on my, my dad's side of the family, uh, he worked for American Bridge Company for, I'm not exactly sure how long, but I know he retired around age 60, may have even been like the late 50s. Bought the RV, was traveling around everywhere with, with, with grandma, with his wife, and they would just show up at our house sometimes and, you know, say, hey, we're here, you know, we're retired, we can do whatever. And then, <laughs> you know, they went out to California, they ended up getting a little place in California. And then, you know, 
as things went on, if you want to see grandma and grandpa, eventually you were going over their house. You know, they weren't coming over to our place anymore. And uh, we were helping out more around their house and things like that. And my grandfather just had a great sense of humor. Um, he built his house, you know, it's kind of that generation. He was very, he's very handy. Um, so he built uh, the house that they raised their family in and uh, he had a leak in his roof. And so at the ripe uh, young age of, I don't know, 94, 95, he's up on a ladder, you know, fixing a leak in his roof. Wow. And, and then <laughs> like, grandpa, <laughs> come on, just hire, <laughs> don't do that. Don't get up on the ladder. And then, you know, I, I came back out to his house not too long thereafter. And, um, uh, and he still, <laughs> he still had the leak in his roof. He's like, I'm like, grandpa, you got the leak in the roof. Well, he's like, well, you told me not to get up on the damn ladder. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm like, yeah, but you have money. Call somebody to, to get the roof fixed, Grandpa. So he was, uh, he was pretty funny about that. But, uh, but he passed away at age 99. Um, I have his uh, driver's license, which is good through was good through the age of 102, wow. according to the state of Pennsylvania. And I remember when he got it. He showed it to me. He's like, he's like, you believe these idiots? He's like, they're not making me come back till I'm 102. So. Uh, but anyway, he's, he's been gone for a while, uh, but he passed away just a little bit before, a few months before he was going to turn a hundred. And, uh, so he was getting his pension for, for about 40 years or maybe even a little bit more than that. But I saw it with him, you know, they were, they were active, they were doing a lot. And then, then after a while, they were just really maybe going to the grocery store once a week and going to church and they weren't doing anything else. So, you know, that's a personal example for me. I'm sure everybody can visualize somebody that's in their life that they kind of went through that. Um, but you can see, you know, how it happened. You know, my grandparents didn't update their house. They still had, you know, the same old carpeting that they had since the 1970s. And so they weren't spending the money there. They weren't buying clothes. They weren't, you know, going out and, and traveling anymore, all those sorts of things. So that's how people tend to behave. That's what we see in the chase data. Uh, there's uh, some other data that came out in 2013 by a guy uh, by the name of David Blanchett. He is the head of retirement research at Morningstar, which most people are probably familiar with. You know, you think of kind of the mutual fund star ratings is probably what they're best known for. But he wrote a paper in 2013 based on a different data source, um, something called um, the Health and Retirement Study. Basically, this was household survey data that, that followed these people over and continues to follow these people over a number of years and just analyzes them. So it's been an ongoing uh, study over time. Uh, but the paper was entitled Estimating the True Cost of Retirement. And in short, you know, what he found was that retirees need about 20% less in savings than the traditional planning rules. So the traditional planning rules, things like, hey, you need to replace 80% of your pre-retirement income. You know, hey, you need to use that safe withdrawal rule and take out that $40,000, that 4% of your million in year one and increase it by 3% per year. And, uh, and what he's saying is, you know, you actually need about 20% less accumulated in your savings and investment accounts than if you just use those traditional rules of thumb. And then one year later, he came out with a paper in 2014 and looked more at the spending changes a little bit more detail. And what he found was there was a smile pattern that existed. So, you know, when, say if you retire at age 60, your spending at age, you know, 60 is going to be probably pretty similar to what you spent at age 59. 
Um, but then you know, as you go through the go-go, as you go through the slow-go, and as you get into the no-go years, you're going to see this decline. And then it's going to, you know, so that's part of the small, but then it comes back up at the tail end of life with with additional healthcare costs. And so that's kind of the, the other side of the smile, if you will. But basically, he found that it was about a 1% decrease per year in real consumption. Uh, so that's important to know. Um, you know, the things that I mentioned about kind of using this data in terms of how we're modeling spending goals is important. Some caveats. Um, these are averages. You know, these are large data samples, whether you have I don't know how many millions of people Chase is looking at to come up with these patterns um, or you know what was in a kind of the health and retirement study. There are a lot of people. So you kind of have this law of large number effect. And for you or for your household, you have a sample size of one. You know, if you go into any specific household, you may see wide variation and you may not see kind of that, that decline over time. You may not see kind of the go-go, slow-go, and no-go. You may see a lot more spending on healthcare or or other spending that makes that pattern not apply. So we definitely want to use this information, but we want to use it responsibly uh, in our modeling and make sure that we're doing this on an ongoing basis to keep ourselves on track and not just kind of go off with some runaway spending. I think that is incredibly important to remember. It seems like uh, I'm watching my own grandparents starting to go through these transitions, um, really from the slow go to the no go in, in different ways over the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, it's one thing to watch it emotionally and then two financially to see the impact. You know, it, first it went from international travel getting cut to then domestic travel starting to even get cut back and then various health issues starting to pop up just kind of as you've you outlined for your grandfather. It's been kind of interesting to watch that transition and, um, you know, trying to define different ways to interact. And we've kind of crossed that same threshold where now uh, you got to go see them in order to to visit and, and be together. It's probably not going to go the other way now. Um, so that's, it's just uh, kind of, you've caused me to look back and kind of think about that transition, uh, talking about this. And then it also seems to me like based on their experiences, that although they're spending less as they get older, the things that they do have to spend money on come in like bigger pops, like bigger bigger spends all of a sudden start popping up. Um, obviously, a lot of them due to health care. But um, with my grandmother, they just because of a, an incident, she now needed to have a, uh, you know, a chairlift installed. So, you know, boom, really big expense uh, to have a they live in a third story condo to now have to have, you know, three stories worth of this chairlift put in um, so that she can still have some independence and get out of the house for doctor's appointments and things like that. Um, you know, so they're just little things that maybe you don't think about planning for that start to pop up as you get a little bit older as well. Yeah, healthcare is, um, you know, it's so specific uh, to, to each person and obviously it's largely unpredictable. Um, there's certain things that we can control about our health, but we can't. And the I would say the counterintuitive thing, but um, even if we're very healthy and we live to be, you know, quite elderly, well, you know, dementia starts setting in at a much, much higher rate the older that you are. So you could have a very healthy body, but your mind could not be keeping up with it and, and degrading. And, and that could, you know, those are some of the cases where you, know, you could be in a, a long-term care, memory care unit for, for quite a period of time because the body's healthy, but the mind isn't. Um, so, you know, you, you don't know, um, but you're, you're spending, um, even though healthcare does increase at the end of the life, 
And for some, it's going to increase a lot. But for most, it's probably a little bit more, um, it's, I'd say it's more of a fear than, than a major risk for, for many once you actually understand um, you know, the data and, and the actual risk that's involved and maybe some ways that you can combat the risk. Early on, we did um, a series called Retirement Rules Gone Awry, and I, I talk about this in more detail. I know it's probably back in the first 10 episodes, um, but you can listen to it if you want. I go into the long-term care need and some of the stats behind it. But, you know, it's, I think you got to, it's good to know this, um, you know, if you factor in these age-related spending changes, on average, you're probably going to, rather than, you know, just kind of assuming you're spending the same amount each year and increase with inflation, on average, you're going to find that you probably retire about three years sooner. That's great. You know, hey, or at least you're financially independent. You can retire if you want to or keep working if you want to. That's that's up to you. But it is just an average. And so everybody's going to be different. So it's really important to use those spending changes, but you still have to keep your eye on the ball. And, and I haven't even mentioned it, but the most important thing is whatever you're putting in for your spending has to be accurate. We haven't talked about this. I can do a whole episode on it, but you know, because a lot of people don't have a budget and they haven't had to worry about money, a lot of our clients don't know what they're spending when they start working with us. And you know, maybe they have some income that's lumpy or expenses that are lumpy and meaning that hey, maybe it's a one-time thing like the chairlift example that you just mentioned for grandma, but they're not going to continue year in, year out through retirement. So it's really important and somewhat challenging um, to get good spending data into the plan. Certainly clients may come up with spreadsheets, but I can give you many examples of, I mean, heck, I had one as a CFO for about a $100 million company and went through his, his budget and um, and I reconciled his tax return and I'm like, hey, we're missing about 10 grand here. And then <laughs> it didn't really kind of take that well, but um, but we worked through it. And if you're spending a $10,000 difference per year, you know, if you think about it, um, it could be a couple hundred thousand dollars that you need to have saved up to go ahead and, and, and meet that $10,000 per year additional lifestyle expense. So we're not talking about small dollars for most people, um, but it's, it's really important. Um, again, we'll kind of, I'll make a mental note and maybe we'll come back to this about getting good spending data in there, but it's tough. You know, people hadn't had to worry about money and, and maybe, you know, they don't know how they're going to things are going to change in retirement. You know, maybe they're helping out their kids now, but that's maybe not going to be there forever. So you really have to get data, but then you have to kind of massage it and make sure you have really good inputs to the plan. And candidly, one of the best ways to do this is to do it over a period of a couple of years, uh, meaning that, hey, we start with some good assumptions. Uh, say we're starting working with a new client this year. You know, hey, what kind of spending data do you have? There's just some different things that we can do to kind of triangulate that and reconcile it. But then when we're updating things next year, let's let's keep an you know, now that we're measuring, let's keep an eye on this. Let's make those adjustments and make sure that the inputs that we have into the plan for spending are accurate. And if they're not, let's make sure that we adjust them to reflect your lifestyle currently. And then we can make those age-related spending adjustments that are important to get a more representative plan, not just today of your lifestyle, but how it's likely to change over time. So uh, we're not going to put together a budget for folks. It's the spending plan. That's the, that's the fresh twist on things, right, Kevin? Yeah, you, you got it. I mean, it's <laughs> spending plan. We need to have uh, some. We need to have good data. So um, yeah. the good thing is we can do that heavy lifting. Most people don't want to go through their bank statements and and do all that. I mean, there's different ways that we can do that. We've uh, been able to figure out where we can get 
good data to start and then with each successive year we can we can measure it going forward um, and we true it up um, so <laughs> you know it's really important if you have a plan uh, that looks great on paper but it's not reflective of your lifestyle and you're actually spending a lot more that is not a good plan and it's, it's going to run into ruin without some major changes so yes yes there's retiree spending but uh, even more importantly than kind of estimating how things are going to change over time you really need to have a good measurement of what your current lifestyle is to begin with. Having these conversations should actually be easier, though, than the traditional everyday budget that nobody really likes, because that's that's every day. That's something that's got to be in the back of your mind every day if you're sticking to the budget and doing those kinds of things. This is more, you know, infrequent, at least in terms of having to pull everything together, talk about it, analyze it. But for you know, all intents and purposes, doesn't affect your day to day life of that that flow. So it sh- to me feels like it should be less intimidating for folks to have to kind of walk down that path and if anything should be empowering to get your plan in line with what's actually happening in reality and that's, that's where you step in. Well, empowering, yeah, you get a lot more clarity uh, and we didn't touch on this but you know, you think about you know, things that are needs to you, things that are more discretionary or wants and things that are maybe most discretionary we call them wishes or aspirational. But when you go through the retirement planning process and you stress test the plan, um, you know, if your needs are met to a high degree, regardless of kind of the, the economic scenario or going through some bad investment markets and you're fine with your needs, to me, and I would say to our clients and working with them over the years, that's very reassuring. You know, if we've talked about this in different regards, but if kind of the worst case is you have to sell the second home, you know, maybe a few years sooner than what you would really like and anticipate doing, uh, but everything else is intact. Well, maybe enjoy the second home for 10 years, but not 20 years, but hey, maybe that's a decent trade-off. You know, those sorts of things that, you know, where are you cutting from if you really have to cut? just helps people get clarity on how their money is connected to their lifestyle. And it helps them become much more prudent going through tough times like we did a year ago when the market sold off by a third, going through kind of the onset of the coronavirus um, pandemic, and then kind of coming out the other side of it. So there was a lot of that going back to you know, hey, you know, the market just sold off by a third. Here's where your plan results are now. You're still fine. In fact, you know, hey, you're so fine that we can actually be opportunistic and maybe consider a risk increase here because the market just sold off a lot. So that, that's really important. I know we're kind of talking about retiree spending and inflation, but obviously you push over one domino and a lot of this and, you know, 10 others kind of fall over. A lot of them are interrelated, but Hopefully, um, you know, this brought some more clarity to the comment that I made uh, in the last episode about why inflation is maybe not as big of a risk as it appears for retirees uh, because their spending does decline uh, on average over time. Um, but these spending changes could, cert- if you're doing a good job measuring and reflecting them um, versus kind of doing it the old traditional way where you're just kind of having one spending goal and increasing by inflation per year. On average, you know, Blanchett from Morningstar found that, you know, you're probably going to be able to retire about three years sooner. We've been able to see similar results in just our common practice in serving clients. And, you know, if you can reach financial independence sooner and then you have more clarity around what your needs, your wants and wishes are and where you would have to cut back if things went awry for any reason, to me, that's good financial planning. It's nice to have some natural balancing that happens in the uh, financial realm and some good examples of that on today's podcast for sure. 
If you have any questions about what Kevin has talked about today or haven't put together a, a spending plan or not quite sure if what you're spending matches up with reality and you need to go through a little bit more in-depth analysis, it's always very easy to set up a time to chat and uh, meet with the True Wealth Design team. You can do that by going to truewealthdesign.com and clicking on the Are We Right For You button to schedule a 15-minute call with the team. And you can also call 855-TWD-PLAN if you prefer that way. 855-TWD-PLAN is the phone number. Or again, truewealthdesign.com. Kevin, another episode in the books. Thanks for the guidance, my friend, and uh, we'll look forward to chatting again soon. Thank you, Walter. All right, take care. That's Kevin Krosky. I'm Walter Storholt, and we'll talk to you next time on Retire Smarter. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.